Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Our adventure today takes us down to Orlando. We're going to check in with the marketing division manager for Orlando Venues. He oversees branding, communications for Amway Center, Camping World Stadium, along with all kinds of other events. Before joining the city of Orlando, lots of time in theater with Broadway Across America. We're going to learn all about that, too. Please welcome Kirk Wingerson. Hey, guys. Hey. It's great to have you. We've been trying to lock you down here for a while. And uh, Kirk, uh, you know, you are a big part of the event and arena marketing conference. You've been uh, on the, the board and run agenda for us for a year. And, and most people, you know, who, who know you, uh, know you for this amazing hair you've got. So let's, <laughs> let's, start, let, let's start there. The best hair in live events. Yes. How long have you had amazing hair? Uh, well, it started when I was a young boy. No, um, I... I Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, and have you always had like, you've got a big head of hair, right? I mean, did this go back to high school or does this? Uh, no, 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 not at all. Um, I'm actually, I'm thankful I got a thick head of hair, but uh, you can't see it on uh, this podcast, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, now I'm in this phase now where I'm growing it out again. I had it long like four years ago, enjoyed it. I, I've had two phases where I grew it out long and I get tired of it uh, and then I grow it out again. So, but yeah, that didn't start until my later years. There you go. So, I'm rocking this big shock of white on the side here, my skunk patch. So yeah, we all got a little that's, more that's gray nice. than we used to. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot. It's got that Mr. Fantastic look. You got the little, you know, little stripe <laughs> on the side. Well, Kirk, you know, uh, uh, Florida uh, is is quite a market for live entertainment, and you're right there in the center of center of it all. So talk to us about Orlando venues and kind of your role. What do you do there as the marketing division manager? Cool. Yeah. So I've been here a little over 11 years already. It's gone by incredibly fast, but uh, my office is here in Orlando at the Amway Center. So our anchor sports team here is the Orlando Magic. So they're on the other side of the building. And um, we also have uh, ECHL hockey team here, the Orlando Solar Bears and uh, the Orlando Predators are, are our arena football league that are off and on depending on the year. So we're very busy with those and then on top of that, we have tons of events. This is, interestingly enough, uh, these venues are owned and operated by the city of Orlando. So I am a city of Orlando employee. A lot of people don't realize that because that is not the norm. Usually when there's an arena or a stadium, it's either the NFL franchise, the NBA, the NHL, or some mixture or combination of all of those. Um, but we are not. And uh, uh, even though, I, Ed, Dave, when you did the intro, you mentioned uh, the stadium and the arena. We also have three other venues. We have Tinker Field, which is on the west side of Camping World Stadium. And uh, it, it was an old ball field that was used like spring uh, spring training years and years and decades ago, I should probably say. Uh, now it's largely used for festival grounds. And we have EDC Orlando every year in early November. Uh, we've had 10 years of it already. And it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, too. And if you're not familiar with it, uh, there is a uh, EDC on the West Coast in Las Vegas every year. Um, and we just build up a great relationship with Insomniac. And uh, we're, you know, last year when we had it, it was a three day festival. We had 95,000 people per day. So this year Jeez. should be even bigger. Uh, and then the two other venues we have that are in our, our uh, Orlando venue stable are uh, Manello Museum of American Art, which is a 12,000 square foot little intimate museum on, on the shores of uh, Lake Formosa, not far from here. And we also have uh, Harry P. Lou Gardens, Botanical Gardens, uh, which is about 50 acres. And uh, they have tons of classes and it's just beautiful, verdant, you know, expanse uh, where you can enjoy not just nature and abundant nature, but uh, there's classes, workshops, and uh, they do movie nights and jazz and stroll through the park and all sorts of cool stuff. So long story short, uh, we have several venues and they keep us busy. Wow. It's got to be interesting to balance that variety. I mean, as someone who's worked on the arena side myself, but now I, I'm also a city employee and we have, you know, museum and gallery and we have workshops and stuff. It's, 
there's an interesting correlation where some things are the same, but it's also very different. You know, your marketing events, your marketing programs, sure. but you know, to go from like uh whatever a tour with the weekend to like a painting class or something in a museum is two totally separate beasts, but I'm sure it's it's kind of a fun little change of pace. It is fun, but uh to be to be truthful, we spend the vast majority of our time focusing on the arena and then in of late the stadium has really taken off. Uh, in fact, we just sure. got a press release out uh yesterday announcing our uh super successful uh stadium concert season uh because tonight we have red pot chili peppers out at camping world stadium and that is the sixth and final concert this season prior to 2022 we've been averaging one concert uh stadium concert yeah, what, were your other sta- what were your other stadium shows what else did you do you did the i know you guys did the big motley crew oh yeah yeah so we uh in march 12th we had billy joel and it was a super cold night but it was a it was a nice concert nonetheless as cold cold, cold by florida standards right like cold so like no, no, Come on, Paul. It was pulled by everyone's standards. Uh, I'll go as far as to say it was damn near freezing. Two weeks later, we had Garth Brooks in the round. uh, And with uh, Garth Brooks in the round, we sold over 70,000 tickets, which was really special. Uh, Then after that, we had Paul McCartney in May. On Father's Day, June 19th, we had Motley Crue and Def Leppard. Def Leppard were the headliners on that tour because they alternate. Uh, And then we had Bad Bunny on August 5th, which was just insane. Uh, And I'm going to circle back to that in a minute. Uh, and then uh, we've got Red Hot Chili Peppers tonight, and we're uh, north of 40,000 tickets sold. Uh, so that show has really picked up steam. But I want to circle back to Bad Bunny because it's really interesting. He's truly the hottest artist in the world right now. We had him here at Amway Center on March 29th and March 30th, five months ago, back to back, two nights here, both sold out, 18,000 plus people in the building each night. And then five months later, he goes a mile west and plays Camping World Stadium and sells it out. It was just bonkers. And his show, his show grossed over. Uh, nine and a half million dollars it was just a big night big big night so uh yeah bad bunny is probably the exception of this but i mean dave you obviously have a stadium you oversee are are you all both seeing more of these like legacy acts kind of do larger stadium runs versus shorter arena runs it seems like that's increasing more maybe it's because there's less dates more people you know more bang for your buck on the on the touring side the talent but I mean, it, it seems like more and more a lot of these acts are out, uh, you know, doing stadium runs versus maybe what would have been an arena run previously. Yeah, I would I would say so. I, you know, we just had Luke Combs, uh, who was, uh, you know, a uh, you know just an arena act, an opening act just a few years ago. But True. Damn, near, damn near sell out Ohio Stadium. Uh, so, so the, uh, the, you know, the biggest show we've had there since uh, we started doing shows again in 2015 there at the stadium. Uh, and so, uh, but there's definitely, I think it, I think it is still, we're still kind of in that post pandemic bounce back where there is, especially for some of those legacy artists or those, uh, people that understand that they may not have a chance to see them again live. And so there's that, uh, it's definitely drive and stuff, but you know, act like, you know, bad bunny is just, there's just such excitement and, uh, for live music right now. I think we can, uh, Kirk, you'll definitely agree that it's just, it's so great to see this industry bounce back. It is. And, 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 you know, to Paul, to your question, I, I think a large part of it is because these artists couldn't tour for two years, roughly. And, right. you know, it was a patchwork of all the states had different restrictions on what you could and couldn't do and how many could play and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I think so many of them were jonesing to get out on the road and see their fans again. And for those that were big enough that had always played arena, um, they're like, you know, let's give it a shot with the stadium. And for the most part, our stadium run this year with six shows has been really wildly successful for us, including the show tonight so and i'm stoked uh thundercat and strokes are the open the strokes are the opener so it's gonna that's, be damn that's good. awesome gates open at five show starts at 6 30 it's gonna be a lot of fun uh, kirk you know when we talk about you know uh obviously the different venues talking about your role whether it's you know a, a festival show or an arena show or a stadium show what, what is what's kind of your your role there uh, so in my role in this in this department within venues is is largely overseeing the the kind of the big projects and I kind of set the tone for the for the department what needs to be done. I've got a really talented team, which is good. We're not a big team, uh, but I think we have a lot of experience and we get the job done. Um, so my role is uh, you know everything from branding to all the external internal communications we do. Um, 
when we're launching new, you know, endeavors or partnering with the magic on, you know, certain things, um, I'm usually behind the scenes on that stuff. But uh, I, like I said, the, the people on my team, they, we've kind of divvied up certain roles. Uh, like I've, I've got uh, someone who works directly with the tours far more than I do. Uh, we've got an interactive media coordinator that uh, handles all of our socials across the stadium and the arena, as well as the maintenance of the websites. And we've got another person that oversees all of our like email database and we churn out and, and I'm sure you guys can attest a ton of e-cards. I mean, we're yes. a small department with high volume and it's been particularly busy in the last few months. It led up just a hair, maybe in May and June. And then by, by the end of July, it just ramped up again. So day to day, it's working on all that stuff um, and new surprises around every corner. Uh, XFL uh, has announced that they're coming to Orlando out at the mm. stadium. So we don't have an anchor tenant out there. So we're, we're welcoming them. I was going to ask that. Yeah. You're, you're doing that without, without an anchor. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of unusual. I were it works well in some regards, others maybe not so much. We were the home field for University of Central Florida for many many years, and then they built a stadium on campus, and that went away. Uh, but the Orlando City MLS franchise, uh, when they first moved to Orlando from Austin, uh, they were a USL pro team for two or three years, and they played at Camping World Stadium, yeah. and then they went in uh, as part of an expansion team for MLS. So I believe it was their first two seasons they played. Here year. And then I think during the second season, it might've been when the Orlando Pride debuted. So we got a lot of soccer action. And then of course, Orlando City and Pride opened their own stadium, which is about two blocks from the Amway Center. Um, but uh, not having an anchor tenant in the building has made things certain things easier for us, but it also has been kind of a hindrance in certain regards. But we've been very successful. I mean, in 2015, we did a massive reconstruction of the stadium. It's about 90% all new construction to the tune of $207 million. And uh, coming out of that in 2015, we started getting these concerts. Like Rolling Stones uh, were our first concert. Uh, incidentally, as well, we were in L.A. for uh, EAMC back in June 2015. So I missed it. Um, but we've had a steady stream of concerts every year since. And of course, this year. But uh, we've hosted four NFL Pro Bowls in the last few years. We had WrestleMania in 2017, which you guys, I'm sure you're very familiar. We all know the good people at WWE, but that's just a massive, yeah. massive endeavor. Um, and I think our economic impact from that show alone was like 181 million point five. But we had five ticketed shows in five nights. So we had a uh, what the hell was it? it was a Friday and Saturday night sold out ticketed events here at Amway Center. Sunday night was the big show out at the stadium, completely sold out. I think they, they announced attendance was like 76,000 plus. And then we had a Monday and Tuesday night show here back at the arena, both sold out. So it was just intensive. And uh, they warned me how grueling it was going to be. And I, I, I don't want to say I didn't believe him, but when I was there, I was like, dear God. Um, but it was a great, great experience. And uh, I, I, you know, truth be told, I don't follow wrestling at all uh, unless what? it's in our building. And then I turn on the TV and watch just to see how it's being sure, shot. But sure. um WrestleMania out of the stadium was a true spectacle. We hosted it one time before. I think it was in 2008, and I did not go then because I wasn't working for Orlando Venues. But uh, they said it's the biggest spectacle you will ever witness, and it was so true. It was just – it was amazing. So it was a good time. From a, from a marketing side, it's, a, it's such a bucket list event for so many so many marketers, right, that they would love to host a WrestleMania. Is it what, – what makes it so much work than just hosting your, your regular WWE event? Uh, with WWE's fairly, uh, I don't want to say easy, but it's it's they they tour all around. And yeah, we're used to we do it all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we get WWE in the building at least once a year, it seems, and and we welcome that. We we love our relationship with them. They actually have their performance center here in Orlando, so where they train a lot of their talent. Um, or I should say their superstars is at the performance center, but for WrestleMania in itself, it's just a massive production and a long lead time. And there's only one per year. And, uh, there's just so many variables that go into, it. and there's a huge, huge team behind the scenes, making it all happen, uh, between the venues. We have a massive local organizing committee from our partners at like a uh, greater Orlando sports commission, uh, orange County, you name it. There's just a ton of entities that work with us to, you know, cross the finish line. And it's like one of those just like with any show that we've been through that you know once it's done you're like sigh of relief but wrestlemania bigger it's just a big one there's a lot of pieces in there i mean that that is really interesting like you said that you've got you've got a stadium with no primary tenant and then the fact that the city would invest money into it to like even i mean that's i don't know of other stadiums that are really like that you almost have like the anchor is the the tenant that kind of keeps it going. And then you squeeze in some concerts here and there. But I love that 
you know, there was this purpose why it was built originally, but instead of it just being like, oh, let's tear it down because the tenant has gone away and built another stadium. It's like, how do we continue to use this? And then not only use it just for like one-off things, but these massive tours and these big events like, you know, WrestleMania. I mean, I think that's that's an interesting testament to the city to really like see the value in a property like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the city of Orlando has been fantastic and our partners out at the stadium, Florida Citrus Sports, have done a lot as well. And I certainly want to give them credit because they bring a lot of programming to the building and they're they're very strong long term partners of ours. But I do want to mention, too, we have two bowl games out there annually. We have the Cheez-It Bowl. I think this year it's on December 29th. And then we have the Citrus Bowl. It's usually on New Year's Day, but because of the day it falls on this year, it's on January 2nd. And so those bowl games are really important to us, too. We have the Florida Classic, which is two HBCU schools that compete in November at the bowl. I think it's the week right before... Um, I think it's a, yeah, it's a week right after I should say EDC clears out. Um, but so there's plenty of activity out there. Yeah. yeah, Nice to have an NFL franchise. And quite honestly, since it's city of Orlando, I get a few emails every year that someone has the great idea that, Hey, we should relocate one of the teams here to Orlando, be it the Buccaneers, the the Jaguars. Like, yeah, okay. That's, that's plausible. Um, but yeah. nonetheless, they, they still, Good luck. we still get those. <laughs> we again, we we pumped a lot of money into it. Again, two hundred seven million back in uh, two thousand fourteen, and then just last year in twenty twenty one, we spent about nine months uh, putting another sixty million into the stadium. So we're trying to keep wow. it, um, you know, competitive with everything else. And I think we've done a really good job at that. And the sixty million that went in last year, and we just wrapped it up literally at the end of the year, was for installing a brand new club level on the east and west sides, um, and that's a premium level, uh, which we didn't have previously. And then we've added about 4,000 seats on the North Plaza deck. So we totally enclosed the bowl, the stadium bowl, and then lots of other amenities um, that uh, have really worked well in our favor. And because we keep investing in the stadium along with our partners and then using the tourist development tax. So to be clear about that, a lot of that money comes from you might know it as the bed tax. Orlando's known sure, for yeah. its hospitality yeah. and attractions. So there's a percentage of everyone that stays overnight that we can get that money. I mean, they don't just hand it to us. We have to make the case. <laughs> uh, but it, that stadium renovation, or I should say reconstruction, was funded through the t- tourist development tax. And then the $60 million, we just did more of the same. Uh, but that's allowing us to attract these high-profile events. Thank you, House of Mouse, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> We talked a lot about, you know, the uh, the stadium there, but obviously, you know, your house out of Amway Center, you said that takes up a big chunk of your time. So let's oh, yeah. let's talk about let's talk about Amway Center. What's the Amway Center like in, in 2022? It still has that new car smell, even though it's not a car. Uh, it is a uh, it's very tech loaded facility. Uh, we are a lead gold uh, for new construction certification. Um, wow. So we've. Uh, We've got a lot of great tech in this building um, and it, you know, I think it's actually, we've all been to some rather bland buildings. This is not one of them. It is right downtown Orlando. I look out my window and I can see the skyline. We are right next to the major throughway through downtown. And we, uh, we do really well with the shows like this year, this current fiscal year that wraps at the end of this month, we've had 55 concerts. That's beyond the magic solar bears games, predators. And how does your booking department fit everything in? Uh, well, it's a one man show, but, uh, he does, he does his best and he certainly keeps us busy, but, um, you know, we're approaching October 1st is our 12 year anniversary. And, uh, again, just like we're doing with the stadium, we're still putting a lot of money into the building. So are our partners and, uh, it, it, uh, you know, it, it's holding up well, it looks good. And, uh, we update the technology in here frequently and, um, you know, we're getting the big shows, 55 shows this year. We had killers in the, or the killers in the building last night. Uh, and we've got uh, sold out Kevin Hart show tomorrow night and just, and Camillo on Sunday. So there's just a ton of stuff coming down the pike, but that's a good problem to have. Cause that's what we want. Credit to the designers of the building and to the branding and you all, but it's like when I think of Amway, I just envision that spire that's kind of, I don't know what the technical term for it is, but off of the front of the building. (laughs) Spire. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, but like, you know, it's just, it's such, that's like what I, that's what I see. You know, I see it in my brain. I've seen it on your all's Instagram or posts that you've made. I mean, it, it kind of has this iconic look that's very different than all the other arenas. Yeah, and, and uh, that's something that we wanted to focus on. Uh, we have a creative agency that we work with for our, a lot of kind of the branding and positioning and stuff. And uh, uh, our tagline, we've been using truly legendary for a long time. When this building opened uh, 11 years ago, it was uh, enter legend to kind of create that 
that feeling like, wow, I'm about to embark on this really cool adventure within this building. And after the first year, we wanted to retain some of the uh, some of the brand equity that we built up with the legendary aspect. So we pivoted to truly legendary and we've been running with that for a long time. But when it comes to the materials and talking with our creative agency, um, they had said a while back that, you know, too many of these shows that do the branding ads and be it Polestar or Billboard or any of the trade pubs um, do the kind of what they call the film strip where they showcase all the shows that have been in the building, but that doesn't really differentiate you from what everyone else is doing when everyone's right. doing film strip. So we, tried to put, uh. yeah, so we tried to put the emphasis on the building itself and have that be the focus. And so sure, there was some iterations where we had in text and varying sizes of some of the bigger artists like a Paul McCartney and a Taylor Swift and Bruno Mars. And it might get smart just to kind of pepper it in there that who's been through the building. And then we did uh, iteration uh, several years ago where it was kind of handwritten. It looked like it was just in a notebook doodle. Um, but at the end of the day, we try to put the emphasis on the building itself. And that, so people can identify that, hey, I've had some good moments in that building. I want to go back for more. When you talk about uh, Orlando, you know, obviously, as, as you mentioned with the bed tax, you know, tourist and tourism vacation spot of America. When you're marketing your shows, how often are you marketing to potential tourists or are you are you always is your primary audience always, you know, those Florida Orlando natives? I think uh, I'm a big advocate for fishing where the fish are and uh, to chase tourists that come to town when, you know, the attractions are probably seven miles south of here is Universal Studios and about another five to six south of that is Disney. So they're close, but not that close. But the, the truth of the matter is uh, when people come to town to go to Disney and Universal, sure, coming to a concert or a magic game is and you know kind of a value add type of thing. You're not here for that, but oh, I'll go pick that up. But I don't want to spend a lot of money down there because the reality is uh, they're going to be doing other things. And there is a lot of competition down in the attractions down there. And uh, what we do, we've had great success, you know, kind of targeting people in this market. Sure, there are things that we do that reach out to those people, but we don't spend a lot of money doing them. The exception to the rule is these stadium shows because you have so much more potential and much larger ticket allotment that you have to clear through. Like, you know, tonight, 40,000 plus for Red Hot Chili Peppers that you need to go beyond the market. So we'll look at, uh, be it Tampa, because Tampa is 85 miles down the road from us, down I-4. So we'll look at Tampa. We'll look at uh, Lakeland, which is in between the two, over to Daytona, and sometimes up to Jacksonville and some other outlying areas. But that really is more so with the stadium shows, um, because it, it necessitates. You need to do that. But with the arena shows, uh, it's a little bit easier, because we kind of focus in our backyard for the most part. And it seems like there's more than enough people in each of those markets. Like when we talked to Angela Lanza, you know, she was yep. saying it's not really an either or when it comes with Orlando, it's a both, you know, it's like ideally the tour is going to hit both stops because there's more than enough in each market. So, you know, stadium is something different, but, you know, with the arena, I mean, Orlando is a large enough town that, uh, you know, you have a good diverse population that's going to attend all the different shows there, but without hopefully having to reach too far, at least for the arena. Yeah. So both of those markets, as close as they are to each other, are still there. I mean, I don't want to go against what you and Angela have said, but there is certainly some friendly competition because Florida's geography, I think you guys know what the state of Florida is shaped like. And what tends to happen is uh, if an artist comes down on tour, it usually is like maybe they go across I-10 from, say, New Orleans uh, to Atlanta, and then they head north. But if they dip into Florida, they usually pick up at least two spots. Uh, because you think about it, you go down south and you got to turn around and head right back up because right. it's right. Right. state. So it, it, um, you know, I'm glad I'm not in Miami, put it that way. They get some big shows, but that's way down South versus, you know, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot farther, but they can pop in, do a show here, maybe do Tampa or Jacksonville and then move on, you know, back up into the bigger part of the state. So. Kirk, you mentioned, you know, when we were talking at the beginning, EDC, yep. uh, folks who, for folks who have not heard of EDC, talk to us about kind of the origins of this and, and how, you know, how you got involved. Um, so we've had uh, EDC is short for Electric Daisy Carnival. And if uh, if you've never been to one before, uh, it is truly a sight to behold, especially if you're a people watcher, because it's filled with people <laughs> in just really outrageous costumes, uh, super colorful, uh, super lively. And, and sometimes it's it's. Uh, 
close to no clothing, it looks like. I mean, you occasionally will see people out there in Ugg boots and a bikini. I don't quite get it, but that's what we see. Um, but Insomniac is a promoter behind that, and they've had wild success putting on terrific festivals with uh, some of the biggest names, uh, these DJs and these artists that, you know, uh, just get your heart rate thumping and get you dancing. And uh, we last year, the last couple of times we hosted it, we expanded to four stages and and into three days because the first eight years we uh, presented it or, or hosted it, it was two days. It was always a Friday and a Saturday. Well, now it's Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, I just words don't do it justice. Um, you really should kind of Google EDC or Electric Daisy Carnival to get an idea of what it's all about. But it's it's a pilgrimage for a lot of people that they come here and spend several days and uh, every day, I think the gates open at noon and it is a hard stop, hard stop at midnight uh, because that base and the music can travel really far. I live three miles. Yeah, I live three miles north of downtown. And there has been certain years where the way the stages were positioned, where I could certainly hear it easily from my driveway. Um, so the the OPD that we work with, as well as Insomniac, are really good at making sure we kind of tamp it down and end the show at midnight every night. But uh, it's just it really is a spectacle, and it's not just the music. I want to be clear about that. It's a uh, it's this whole this this community of people that's uh, the people and the, they call them their uh, headliners. That's what Insomniac does. They're not fans and they're not patrons or guests. They're headliners, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, but they come in and there's, it is like, it is a carnival in a sense too, because they do have rides. There's Ferris wheels. There's all sorts of things, zip lines. And then they theme out so well, like no one else does. And they've got stilt walkers in these crazy costumes and then in, in really ornate uh, sculptures that the headliners can interact with in the middle of the field, be it day or night, get selfies with and just expose. So it really is an immersive experience and, and they do it like nobody else. Is the, is the marketing for that, you know, different than a traditional concert? Oh yeah. Yeah, very much so. Uh, the good thing is once uh, they have a very uh, large following on their socials and once they drop that, Hey, tickets go on sale, you know, whenever you can do a layaway. It doesn't even matter who the acts are. Yeah, I don't think they care because they know whoever's on the bill, it's going to be a, a, a strong lineup. And it is. And uh, all we've seen is attendance increases year over year. And uh, that's a testament to that they've got the formula figured out that uh, people want to keep coming back for more. And I'll be honest, I look at that that roster every time they drop and I'm like, I don't know who, you know, just trying to figure out who most of these people are. I can recognize a handful of them, but it seems like the new ones pop up all the time. So anyways, but they've got the formula that works. So I'm not saying it's easy to market the show, but they know how to reach their audience. They do. And so we certainly supplement their efforts. Well, I think that's the benefits of leaning into the experience too, right? Because then when people are remembering it, it's like, eh, I don't, even if other people don't know who all the artists are, they're like, I know it's going to be a good time. There's going to be art installations. There's going to be great food. There's going to be, it's just going to be a, this really cool experience. So I'm all in. I'm sure there'll be artists I like there. So I'm sure that creates a lot more stability from year to year to where you're not just leaning on the talent pool. Yeah. Where then when it announces and everyone's like, eh, I don't really like this year's lineup. Instead, you have people that are just like, I'm going to go because I know I'll have a good time no matter what the artists are. 100%. And again, it's an immersive experience and it's more than just the music you're hearing. It's, it's the total vibe is just everything. And you just, it's easy to get lost and then just, you know, have a great time. Oh, what? You don't dance? Will you go to EDC? You're going to dance. I, I guarantee you that. <laughs> so. I bet you did your fair share of dancing back in college. You were, you were a Florida Gator, right? I am a Florida Gator. You are a Florida Gator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, uh, I, I just went up just uh, last Friday. Uh, I took off work Friday. My wife and I and our two daughters are both teenagers. We went up and, and we did a campus tour of Florida because my oldest daughter is a senior this year. Uh, so we got the oh, proper wow. tour and uh, it was magnificent. And, uh, you know, my, my girls have been kind of indoctrinated to Gator culture because both of them went to their first Gator football game before they turned one. And they've certainly been to several since we had season tickets for a number of years. Um, but then uh, on Saturday night, uh, we played Kentucky in the swamp and I let Paul know that we lost. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> uh, we got a brand new coach, so we'll get a pass for a little bit. Not too long, though. But uh, we did. I win told him the overall season. record is rather dramatically leaning in Florida's favor. So uh, we can steal one once or twice. 
true, but Kentucky's <laughs> really stepped it up of late. But uh, um, yeah, so Gainesville is about 120 miles north of here. And, uh, you know, we we get up there a couple times every year. Uh, it's harder to get up there for football now because the kids are older and, you know, just life is busy. And be it, uh, you know, if there's magic games, because my wife, I should say, works for the magic. She's a PR director over there and she's been there for about 25 years, maybe longer. Um, so she's over on the other side of the building most days, uh, which is super convenient. But uh, we get up there when we can. And um, it's a lot of fun. I just, I don't know, there's some, there's, there's this energy, especially in, in Dave, you're repping your Ohio State jacket right now. I know, I know <laughs> nothing about indoctrinating my children into the university. Yeah, I get my, my sophomore over there. Uh, so you're, you're at your, but you know, you, when you, you're a Florida Gator, you're in college, you know, you're kind of what majoring in telecommunications yep. PR. Yep. How did you make the jump from there? Cause from there you kind of went into the world of, of theater. Yeah, I did. So, uh, I don't think you guys know this, but, uh, back in high school, I was a thespian for four years and I absolutely loved it. I always did the, uh, school plays. Uh, I didn't do musicals cause I'm not a singer. So that's probably a good thing I didn't do that. But I competed uh, in the, you know, the the districts. We even did state once or twice. And I thought that was going to be my calling. And what ended up happening is I went off to school and pretty quickly I said, I'm not one of those people that's just going to make it happen. So I'd rather get a job, find, you know, get a degree and then dabble on it. And if it takes off, great. And then what ended up happening is, uh, you know, I got into telecom and I was doing radio and television news reporting, which I absolutely loved. It was a good experience for me. And I use a lot of those skills every single day on my job. But I, I wanted the peace of mind that I was getting a degree. And so when I got out of school, uh, I worked down in South Florida and Fort Lauderdale for roughly a year with a yacht charter company called Sunsail. They're, they're headquartered out of the UK, but their Fort Lauderdale office that I worked on uh, or at, I was doing marketing PR for them uh, right after college. And uh, they had nine bases in the Caribbean. So I didn't make a lot of money, but it was a damn cool gig because yeah, uh, uh, there's a lot of, the office had this open floor plan and there was probably like 25, 30 people and all worked in there. And it was very multinational, like all, everyone in there, all these different accents from the islands and from England and Ireland and all that. So it was a really cool mix. Um, but the best part was I got to uh, do a little traveling with them. I went down to the British Virgin Islands and was in the uh, Tortola, the BVI Spring Regatta in Tortola and spent about a week down there on boats. So we were sailing all day and we were drinking Heineken all night. Man, it was a great experience. And, and you know, they were picking up the tab for it. It was a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, I did the, uh, what was it? Sail Expo. I don't know, even know if they still have it. It was in Atlantic City. I was up there for three weeks in the middle of winter. It was like January. And we set up this massive display for, brought a couple of yachts in and had to work with these, uh, these uh, union people to get it in and we couldn't lift a hammer or a screwdriver without them. Uh, so it was, a, it was an interesting experience. Yeah, yeah. But after doing that for close to a year, I realized that I wanted to go back to school and get a PR degree. And so I actually went back to the University of Florida for a year, got it. And I came out and I kind of reevaluated what I wanted to do. And I had enough time to certainly reflect. I think once you get your first job, you're like, is this the job that I'm going to be doing right. for the rest of my life? And, you know, there are times when I, I, I can be short-sighted and think this is going to be as good as it gets. I better just enjoy it. But thankfully, I went back to school and I was kind of weighing what I really wanted to do. And I've always been drawn to arts and entertainment. I love uh, I love film more than anything. I love music. Uh, I just I, I love live music and discovering new music. And uh, I, I had my head for a long time that after graduating with my PR degree from Florida, that I would move out to L.A. and likely work for a film studio and just take it from there doing marketing or something along those lines or PR. And uh, it just so happens my wife, when I was back in school the first time around, we were dating back then. And uh, I had fond memories of when I was a young kid. I don't know if you guys know this. I lived in Australia in the mid 70s for a few years. And because my dad, what? his entire career, I lived in Melbourne, Australia, because he was an advertising exec and he was always like creative director, copywriter. He introduced the first Corvette and uh, wow. lots of other cars, by the way. So it was a really cool gig and the highly most creative person I ever met in my life, my dad. And uh, so he got this odd job opportunity in Australia. So I, granted, I was very young when I lived over there, but the idea of living internationally at least some point really spoke to me. And, and when I was working at uh, Sunsail, 
uh, that's the uh, charter company I used to be right after college. They offered me a job to go uh, move over to their headquarters in Portsmouth, England, which is uh, probably, if I had to guess, about two hours south of London, three hours maybe. Uh, it's on the uh, the coast. And um, it was because I went to that BVI Spring Regatta in Tortola and I took a ton of photos and the photos, I came back and I showed them and they were like, this is great. And we had a Scottish guy was leading the office at that point, Hugh, and he was terrific, full of energy and life. And he goes, congratulations. That's a horrible accent, by the way. But I go, what? And he goes, you're our new photographer. And he goes, we're sending you to Portsmouth and, and all of the bases in the Caribbean. And that was really exciting. And I was like, well, shit. Um, and then what ended up happening is uh, he, I think he got fired like a month later. <laughs> so I was like, oh. <laughs> but, um, I, I talked about, uh, cause my wife and I, we got, uh, you know, we'd been together since the tail end of college and when we were dating. And so she knew I was, she was here in Orlando, but I was down in Fort Lauderdale working for uh, the art charter company. And I said, hey, I got this job opportunity in, in Portsmouth. And uh, she said, well, if you take that, you can kiss this relationship goodbye. And I think that's pretty much verbatim what she wow. said. So I had to make that decision. But knowing that I lived in Australia when I was younger, that really spoke to me. But I made the right decision by not going over there. And, and you know, um, you know, I'm obviously with her now. We've been married. <laughs> yeah. years, you made the right so call. You made the right I call. Made, I made the right call for sure. But uh, when I got out with my PR degree, I was looking at what do I want to do? And I thought about L.A. But at the end of the day, uh, my wife had a good job here with the magic. And I was like, OK, um, let me figure out how to make this work. So uh, I, I came up. I interviewed with a gator who had a part time PR job for me. And just out of the kindness of her heart, she said, I can offer that to you. And, you know, we had a great discussion. And I said, I'm really looking for full time employment. And she said, well, here's some people you should talk to. And uh, she gave me a list of people. And I kid you not, this is a really important point that I want to share with you guys. Um, she gave me a handful of people to reach out to and said, uh, just let me know how it goes. And I swear to you, I was at my mom's house down in South Florida about two weeks later and the phone rings and I was living there. I was I was out of uh, college at that point and the phone picked up and she said, it's for you. And I was like, who is it? And I made this face and uh, she gets on the phone and she goes, hi, this is uh, Kimbra. Do you remember me? And I said, yeah, how are you? And she goes, hey, did you reach out to those people uh, doing the Broadway that we spoke about? I was like, I was meaning to, but I just didn't get around to it yet. And she goes, well, I just wanted you to know there's a job opening there now in the marketing department. And she goes, call them if you want, but I'm not going to call you again. And that was the, that was the kick in the ass I needed, guys. And I, wow. I've told so many people that story to you. Was it not for that phone call? And she had nothing vested in it. It was just out of the kindness of her heart that she circled back. She was super kind to interview me in the first place for a part-time job. But she told me who to reach out to, and I hadn't done it two weeks later. And it was that phone call that was like, shit, I got to do something. And that's so not like you today, right? You would kick oh, back no. to the ass for not making that no. call. And now that I have kids, I'm like, no, you have an opportunity here. You do <laughs> Every time they tell you to call, call. <laughs> I kid you not. It was that one phone call that set my career in motion. And, and I honestly would not be talking to you guys today were it not for that phone call. And I've seen her. I haven't seen her probably 10 years. But, I, you know, up to that point when I would run into her at like a networking event or a luncheon or something like that, I would always remind her as like, I'm here because of you. And that's the truth. Wow. That's very that's cool. awesome. So you got some time then with the uh, what, Ford and Theatrical Association and then, and then Broadway Cross America. Yeah. Great years. Great years. Um, so uh, Florida Theatrical Association, I spent about nine years with them. They're a nonprofit presenter of Broadway tours uh, in five markets throughout Florida, at least five markets. When I was there, we had Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, Tampa, and Orlando. Uh, and then a little bit later on, Tampa kind of broke off. And then I think Miami, when the I think it's the Arch Center, came aboard that they might have gone their own way. But they still exist. They're great, good people over there. But spent nine years with them. Uh, senior marketing director, enjoyed my time time immensely. Uh, it was just, uh, I love Broadway. And that kind of brings me back to the acting thing, because uh, even though I didn't pursue acting as my trade post-college, it was really interesting that the very first show I worked in Orlando at the Bob Carr Theater or Bob Carr Performing Arts Center back then, it, it was walking across that stage literally on opening night, 20 minutes before the curtain went up. And I was right behind it and I was on the boards and I was like, wow, so I'm not on the stage to do a performance, but I'm behind 
the curtain right now. And I get, yeah. yeah, and I get to experience it. And, it. and it was not lost on me. I was like, this is a pretty cool opportunity, this thing I get to do. So I spent nine years with them and all sorts of tours. I mean, I imagine in your markets, you guys have Broadway shows come through. Nothing but great things to say and met wonderful people and great experiences. And then uh, after nine years with it, I uh, had an opportunity and I jumped over to their for-profit partner, Broadway Cross America, which still has, I think, 45 odd markets throughout North America. And I spent wow. about five, five and a half years with them as national director of marketing. So uh, this might sound uh, very old and uh, for your younger audience, but at that point in time, when social media was new, Facebook and all these other platforms, uh, one of my large roles was to kind of figure out how we can harness this technology and use it to our benefit to reach out, build audiences, promote our shows. And so that was really cool. And again, this is what Facebook is bringing. I mean, kids now are born and all these platforms have been around forever, it seems. But uh, it was new at one time. And uh, working on all that was really, really exciting. And uh, branding was a big part of what I did. Uh, but it was a great opportunity. And then uh, one of my you know, best experiences, one of those five years I was with Broadway Across America, it was I was the, uh, the editor of our monthly national newsletter that we sent out to subscribers and anyone that opted in. And when I left, I think we were up to about 1.7 million every month. But I was interviewing any Broadway luminary that I wanted to, um, names like Lin-Manuel Miranda. This was pre-Hamilton, mind you, but I did interview with him. You discovered Lin-Manuel? I did. Wow, I'm taking full Kirk. credit for that. No, no, but he did In the Heights, <laughs> which I saw. In and the Heights, so yeah, yeah. I was able to uh, interview him, and he's just as wonderful as you guys have learned through everything he does. But uh, other well, Peter people, Ken, that had to be a very cool experience, the whole getting oh, to interview all the Broadway stars. And, yeah. 100%. But being in a position where I could reach out to a Broadway press agent and say, oh, I want to interview this person or that person. And, oh, who is your work with? Oh, absolutely. Um, so it was a really cool opportunity. And people like, uh, who else? Like uh, Jack O'Brien uh, was, uh, you know, a, a theater director. Harold Prince, who directed Phantom of the Opera. Wow. Yeah. Eric Idle from Monty Python when Spamalot sure. came out. Uh, Tracy Letts, who did um, August Osage County, and he's done a lot of films now. He's, an, he's a really talented actor as well as a playwright. Um, so a lot of cool opportunities. And he even did like like just because I love photography so much. And Paul, I know you do as well. Um, one of the big name uh, Broadway photographers is Joan Marcus. Whenever a show opens on Broadway, you would always see that little credit, Joan Marcus. So I reached out to her people and they put me in touch with her. And she was like, why do you want to interview me? And I was like, because I think what you do is interesting. And whenever you think of Broadway photography, it's usually your name is right there. So uh, yeah. it gave me a lot of freedom to kind of explore that stuff. So that was a really cool, cool opportunity that uh, I kind of miss in some regards. And I don't go to nearly as many Broadway shows now. I'll be honest, I go to maybe one a year if that's <laughs> wildly different. I love that there's this bedrock of passion for the industry as a whole. Like for oh, yeah. pe people can't see this, but literally behind your Zoom screen right now, your wall is covered in show posters. You've got December's Arcade Fire, you know, a bunch of really great ones up there. And that's something that, you know, as long as I've known you too, you're someone that when you go to a new city, you're seeking out what's the local venue, what's the diamond in the rough, what show can I see here, what cool band can I see? You know, it's something that, you know, work aside, it's sort of interwoven into your life is this love of live events, live theater, live music, you know, experiencing and not just sticking in a genre, but trying to like see what the new acts are and the new, you know, things here and there. But I, I think I think that's something that speaks to your success is, you know, something that, you know, it's tied to your personal passion too. I, I, I appreciate that, Paul. And you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, whenever we go to EAMC, be it the advanced trips or in June, whatever market we're in, I just did that when we were in Minneapolis, uh, I was kind of looking at what was available the nights we were there. And I, I went and saw flogging Molly. I know of them, but they were playing at the armory. And I was like, well, shit, I've never been there. I'm going to go check that out. And when I was in the advanced trip in Minneapolis, a few years prior, I went, of course I went to first Avenue. I'm not going to miss that one and right. i saw uh, cigarettes after sex which was terrific and i remember we were having a dinner that night and i was like guys i gotta leave a little bit early where are you going i said i'm gonna uh, first avenue cigarettes after sex and everyone looked at me like what who are you saying <laughs> um but no, i've always done that and you know it doesn't matter the market i mean paul you went i remember we saw at kane's ballroom in tulsa we saw band of horses uh and yeah. uh 
you know, I, I make it a point because in this industry, I, I mean, I'm genuinely passionate about live music and just music in general, but I always want to see what everyone else is doing. And, you know, can we crib ideas from them? Like, they did a really good job with that. Why can't we do right, that? Right. Yeah. So it, it's great. And, and whenever we do EMC every summer and we get the venue tours and we got to see U.S. Bank and Target and Excel uh, uh, Energy Center in June, it's great because you're like, oh, this is really clever how they did this. And, uh, you know, and then back to the stadium discussion when i went to u.s bank i'm like oh man because <laughs> the yeah, furnishings oh in there gosh. were just first class and i was like oh boy i don't know Big how screens. we can see with that yeah. but uh but yeah but it's it, it's it's nice but and, you know I'm, I'm very fortunate to work in this industry uh where i genuinely enjoy and love what i'm doing and not a lot of people can say that i i mean like i said we had a killers concert last night i'm going to chili peppers and i absolutely love chili peppers i'm going to see them tonight at stadium kevin hart tomorrow say like, we always have stuff coming down the pike and even when it's something that i don't know anything about admittedly i don't follow nfl at all i know a little bit my wife is a, a super avid football fan more so college uh but with nfl you know I was able to walk up and down those sidelines and get photos when we had NFL Pro Bowl for four years and get photos of players. And, and I'm like, who's this guy? Like, you don't know who that is. I'm like, no, I don't know. So I, I, you know, it's, it's not lost on me. I, I mean, I'm in a cool position that I get to do access to really interesting, fun stuff that other people that, you know, say, oh man, that's cool. So I don't take it for granted one bit. I don't. That's awesome. Well, uh, I uh, definitely your passion comes through and I definitely appreciate you sharing your uh, adventures through Florida and, and beyond Australia. I had no idea. It was very cool. Hey, uh, before we let you go, we want to hit you with our fast five. It's just five quick questions looking for your instant response. First okay. up, what was your very first concert? That's an easy one. That was Billy Idol at the Sunrise Musical Theater. And I uh, it was Rebel Yell Tour. I think it was Rebel. Yeah, it had to been Rebel Yell Tour. And I almost didn't get to go because my mom had read reports that Billy Idol's coming and uh, the way he uh, presents women in his videos. And and I was young at the oh time. Boy. I was like, come on, mom. And, but I eventually <laughs> got through and I got to go. But I, I think it's worth noting um, – I felt like a champ when I went in the next day at school, like you saw Billy Idol. I was like, yeah, I did. And like, Oh, I wish I could go. So maybe they had the same issues with their parents who weren't as uh, uh, <laughs> indulging. Uh, but I, I do want to note that I, I, I kid you not three days later, my dad took my brother and I, I have one brother is a year and a half older. Three days later, my dad took us to summers on the beach in Fort Lauderdale back when spring break was, this was just the place for spring break in the eighties. And uh, we saw Weird Al Yankovic. At a, at a little club. And uh, it it was a great experience. And uh, I remember my brother reminded me that he, uh, he he was the one to shout out, play Yoda instead of Lola. He paid yes. uh, the King song and he did that. And then he autographed this little program we had. And, and I remember, it, I, I don't know where the hell it went, but it said, hey, Kirk, stay weird, Al. <laughs> nice. nice. I love Weird Al. <laughs> yeah. All right. What was your, how about your favorite all-time concert? Do you have a favorite one that sticks out for you? I know that's a tough one, as many shows you've been to. Yeah, it is tough. I've been to a lot, but. I have to say, I saw, I'm a huge Rolling Stones fan. And like I said, in 2015, we had him here. And I, I was on the other side of the States in LA for our conference. As I totally sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, but it, good <laughs> sacrifice. But I, at that time, I was like, I may never get to see him again. But they played Jacksonville, uh, where the Jags play, uh, back in 2019. And I went with some friends and... Uh, what was really magical about the night was a bucket list. I finally seen the stones, but uh, more so we had general admission floor tickets, but it was more at the back of the floor and then they have seats and then they have their VIP pits on the East and or the left and sure. right side of the stage. And uh, I just started chatting up one of the uh, stage hands there that I saw was kind of doling out some VIP bands to the ladies that were in attendance. And I started talking <laughs> to them and I was able to score a VIP band and, uh, and he was like, Oh, and I told him I'm, I'm in the industry. I wasn't name dropping or anything, but I, I made a couple of jokes and he seemed to laugh at them and enjoy them. And I, I know what it was. I said, uh, I said, when you're not doing this, do you tour as the guitarist for Def Leppard? Because he looks like Phil Collin, the guitarist yeah, okay. from who's the really chiseled guy that's always <laughs> yes. on stage. And he started laughing and he goes, I know, Phil, I've been worked on their tours before. And with that comment, he kind of is like, here, here, here's a band for you. I was like, oh, fantastic. And he goes, are you with anyone? I go, with these guys over here. And he was like, oh, I don't know if I have enough for them. And uh, I was like, okay. And he goes, but let me check and I'll come back. So long story short, I, the guys I was with, I said, I'm going to go check out uh, from the pit right in front of the stage. <laughs> I think it's my, my 
these tickets are like eight, $800, $850. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, right in front of the stage. And uh, so I went up and I said, I'm at least going to see it when they hit stage. And then uh, I'll come back and hang with you guys. And I kid you not, this was probably two minutes before the stones hit the stage. So I'd been waiting in that pit for about 30 minutes. And then right before the stones hit the stage, I happened to look over and it was getting dark now. And I see one friend, boom. Oh my, what? And then I see another one and then another one, another one. And I was like, oh my God. So that guy actually came back and banded all of them. And it was great. We were all in the pit together. We all enjoyed the experience. Awesome. And it was just, it was epic. And I actually took my family last year to see uh, the stones. I wanted my daughters and my wife to see the stones. And we saw them at Raymond James in Tampa. So wasn't quite as magical. We were in the stands, not on the floor in front of the stage, but nonetheless, that Jacksonville experience was phenomenal. How about your bucket list travel spot? I know you like to travel, but what, what what's the one spot you get that that free trip to go anywhere? Where where are you taking the family? That's tough. That's really tough. It's probably somewhere in Europe. Uh, I just I don't know something about it. It's all connected by train. Everything seems so close. Um, and I think when you travel abroad, it really kind of opens up your perspective to see other cultures, how other, and and if you're short of that, if you don't travel and kind of explore beyond your own community, I think you're missing out. And, uh, you know, when I've ever been fortunate to travel abroad, I, I've always like, wow, this is interesting. And you, you, you truly see things differently. So if I had to say, uh, uh, you know, I, I would love, love, love to go to uh, Spain. I would love to go to Ireland and Scotland. I've been to London a few times. Um, but, uh, you know, just keep exploring that area. Um, so yeah, that would probably be it for me. How about your, you mentioned being a thespian for many years. What was the, what was your favorite role you got to play? Oh God. Ah, <laughs> uh, I was in a Neil Simon play called Fools and I was the lead in it. I can't even remember his name, uh, but they put out a really crappy fake mustache. With <laughs> I remember it kept kind of like falling off. Uh, but uh, yeah, it would probably be that one. I think that might have been my senior year in high school. Uh, but I just I just love theater. Like you can assume a role and kind of lose yourself in the moment and put this on this veneer and then boom, you snap. I do remember uh, that we I was James, Helen Keller's brother in the production of The Miracle Worker. I think I was a junior. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was fantastic. And it was our dress rehearsal the night before we opened. And the girl that was playing, it happened to be my brother's girlfriend. Uh, she was playing Helen Keller. And she literally has one line in the show. It's Wawa for water. And uh, in the dress rehearsal, when it was time to say uh, her line, she kind of froze. And, uh, she did as a joke. And she goes, line. <laughs> ah, that's <laughs> great. Lost it. It was so funny. Um, so anyways, uh, it, it was a good experience. Uh, theater's great. Last question. Uh, what's your theme song? You get your own reality TV show. Cameras follow Kirk uh, when you're sent around everywhere you go. What's the song that plays over the opening credits to the Kirk show? Something by Steel Panther, probably. <laughs> no, not appropriate. Um, I would say <laughs> Lust for Life uh, from Iggy Pop. Um, and in fact, I think in EMC when we did the kickoff, I think that might have been the one I said back then, too. Um, just like the show, the, the song you identify with, uh, I listen truly to all different types of music, but punk resonates with me. And when you, when you play lust for life and you hear Iggy, it's just like, it's, it's gets your heart pumping and he gets high energy. Um, so yeah, I think that's the one I would go with. If uh, someone would like to reach out to you or uh, find you or, or find your venues on social, uh, yep. give out all the plugs here. Uh, so our venue social is pretty easy uh, at Amway Center or at Camping World Stadium. If you're looking for me, I also have it pretty easy for you guys. And it's just at Wingerson, um, you know, uh, my Instagram, my Twitter, my Gmail, if you want to spam me. Um, even when Vine was a thing, I was at Wingerson. So uh, it's not a thing anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, it certainly keeps things simple. And I, I guess it, it's helpful because it, when we were talking uh, previously, you know, there's not a lot of Wingersons out there. So I was able to grab those quickly. Before. You claim it on TikTok yet? Uh, no, I don't do TikTok. My uh, my daughter, my youngest does. Uh, but uh, I don't uh -huh. know, one, of these days, one of these days, I'll get around to it. She shows me the funnier stuff that uh, I find entertaining. But well, Kirk, we appreciate your your time here today, and of course, uh, all your uh, adventures with the Event and Arena Marketing Conference over the years. Uh, it's been a little bit a lot of fun, and, and great getting to know you a little bit better today. Yeah, guys, I really appreciate this opportunity. It's always good to see your faces, even though those listening can't. Uh, do you, I can describe them if you would like. It's been fun, though. So thank you, guys. Yeah, and thanks for everybody for listening to this episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. 
And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.